You're listening to the GIST podcast, a place where we come together and meet the many wonderful people who make GIST what it is, a place of learning, of community, diversity and global citizenship. What a year 2020-2021 has turned out to be. A year of online learning, full of challenges, frustrations, technical difficulties and flat batteries. But amongst all of the tears, there's been so much learning, fun, relationship building, and an even stronger sense of community and culture of care. Alongside all of this learning and teaching, we've engaged in a period of reflection and growth, largely through our parallel processes of accreditation and strategic planning, and our many focus committee groups. I'm Joanna Summers, and for our final podcast for the school year, we're joined by a man amongst all of it, and one of our treasured faces around the school our middle school assistant principal, Dan Mahachik. Dan, welcome to the show. Thanks, Joe. You're too kind. <laughs> Dan, I actually feel like we come, we've come full circle, you and I, because you actually appeared on the first pilot podcast with Christoph, our former middle school principal, that never got published. But here we are um, all this time later, and I thought it was perfect that you would provide a nice bookend to the series. I'm happy to do so. And I'm, I'm, so I'm really pleased that you're here. Dan, anyone who's in the middle school knows you really well. Um, but for those who are across our school community who may be unfamiliar with you, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, so, yeah, this is the, uh, I will be finishing up my 21st year in international school education, uh, my wife and I. And I've, yeah, we've had, a, we've had a, an amazing journey and adventure in our international experience. Um, we started out in 2000 um, in Shanghai American School, mm -hmm. and Angie took a job there as a health PE teacher, mm -hmm. and and actually Tarek hired me as a uh, high school math teacher with my engineering background. He feel, oh, felt wow. it would be a good fit. So, um, yeah, so we spent six years in Shanghai. I was in high school math. I did some middle school math and actually some elementary computer teaching at the time. Yeah. You, had to, you had to kind of wear a lot of hats. I was back in the days of computer labs. Yeah. yeah. So I ran a computer lab as well. Um, and then, yeah, that that uh, during that time, we actually uh, had our son Max in Shanghai, and we also adopted uh, Maya while we were there. And so then we were looking for a new journey or a new adventure and moved to Doha, Qatar. Uh, I took a high school mathematics position and Angie was a, hired as a health teacher with the promise of becoming, actually she was hired as an aquatics teacher with the promise of becoming <laughs> a counselor, fascinating enough. Um, so she spent a year in aquatics and then she moved into the middle school counseling. Um, after three year stint there, we uh, found the opportunity to move to JIS and um, what a, what a, what a um, tenure it's been. This oh. is our 12th year at JIS. Uh, unbelievably, it's gone so fast. Um, so I came here as a high school math teacher. I, so I spent one year in the high school um, math classes, teaching algebra one, geometry and, and uh, one of the IB courses. And then an opportunity came up in our first year at GIST to take on a position that was newly formed at the time called a learning coach. And the, the videos that were created and the puns that were used were, were really quite hilarious. <laughs> uh, 
about what does a learning coach do? And so there were some there were some funny videos that you can search them up on YouTube. I think they're still out there. Scotty Graham was the creator of it. Anyway, um, so I, I got the job as the school-wide learning coach and um, spent, there was three of us that, that actually got different positions at different levels. So we were essentially assistants to the curriculum coordinator at the time, which was Mark Jenkins back in 2010, 2011. And then I spent uh, two years, I think it was, doing the school-wide sort of 6-12, I guess. And I also worked some in the elementary um, with my colleagues down there. And then and then uh, Christoph in the middle school uh, decided to, to take me in full-time as a learning coach in the middle school and divide up the responsibilities. And they created a high school position, equivalent positions, and I became full-time middle school. So um, I was a full-time learning coach curriculum person for the middle school for, I believe, six years or so. Um, and then just recently, I guess the last three years, I've been the middle school vice principal. And what wonderful experiences, Dan. And, and as somebody who's worked closely with you over the last few years, your passion for curriculum and all things teaching and learning um, it just seeps through everything that you do. So you and I have interesting conversations. Maybe other people wouldn't find them interesting. <laughs> um, Dan, this year is part of our a lot of the reflection that we did this year, and we'll talk more about that throughout this chat. This year you chaired the focus group committee on professional learning communities, or what we refer to as PLCs here at GIS. PLCs are a critical part of our teaching and learning. So for for our parents and for people in our community who perhaps don't know what a PLC is, can you tell us a little bit about what its role is? Yeah, um, I mean, in a nutshell, PLCs stop individualized uh, teachers from just doing their own, closing their door and doing their own thing to um, building a, a more collaborative culture in the schools, getting people to work together. That's it in a nutshell. Um, there's three big ideas of a PLC. And anybody who commits to the PLC construct, uh, the first one, the first big idea is a commitment to learning. You are a learning focused school. And what that means is it basically has four essential questions. And those four essential questions help the focus always be on learning. The first essential question is what being very clear as a team of teachers, not an individual, but a team of teachers being very clear about what do we want our students to know, understand, and be able to do when they're finished with a body of work, right, or body of learning? Um, the second one is being very clear about what are we going to ask kids to do to demonstrate that understanding or those skills, right, to, so we can gather evidence of their learning. And the third one is what are we going to do or how are we going to respond when kids don't get it? And then the fourth one is how do we respond when kids already know it? Because we know we have that every kids every kid is different, and when when kids come in our class, we have to be ready to intervene when kids don't get it, and we have to be able to respond through enhancements, enrichments, and be prepared for that when kids already come to our class, understanding what we intend or have the skills we intend. So. To do that alone is a is a um, it used to be the practice. It used to be what teachers did. They said they, they considered themselves an individual expert. And now with this new collaborative culture, that's the number that's the number two big idea of a PLC is the idea is that um, you build a collaborative culture, meaning nobody works in isolation, even admin teams. 
when you're making decisions, when you're when you're you know um, putting together communication that goes out to parents, you always are are using your resources around you, human resources around you, to ensure that you're putting out your best um, your best product, I guess, if you will. Um, so that collaborative culture is is essential, and actually it becomes um, a, a, a very important part of how you hire. There's mm. there's two elements of what we what we um, when we look for potential um, teachers to come and work at just there's two sides of it. There is the the, the profession, the the skill of teaching and learning, but there's also this other side of it of of are you a good collaborator? Do you have people skills? Can you work with others? You know, um, and that that those two things what makes a successful teacher here at GIST uh, for those that have experienced success here. Um, so, and the, then the third one, the last one is a focus on the results. So, are we looking at what um, are we looking at the results after we go through a process of of whether it's teaching learning or looking at our results of student work. Are we focused on those results and making decisions based off of data, not off of a gut feeling? So that that's essentially, in a nutshell, what uh, the, the the big ideas of a PLC and and uh, why it's so important that we we remain to we remain focused on those three things because that's what schools do. They mm -hmm. they focus on learning. That's our business. We have to do it together. We're in the people business, so we have to be collaborative. And we have to use data to support our decisions makings going forward, not not gut feel. Yeah, and, and PLCs are something that take place globally. It's not a just specific framework. PLCs are something that are used in schools all over the world. Um, but I think what I love about what we do here at GIS is that our structure, our schedule, our recruitment, as you talked about, is so structured around the ideals of a PLC to make it work for us and which ultimately improves student learning. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, then that's the number one thing people will say is if you're going to commit to a PLC construct, the number one thing that makes it successful is the time. You have to, if the school has to commit to providing the time for PLCs or else PLCs uh, are, aren't as successful as they could be. And so that's, a, that's also a school board decision is that you're allowing people time to collaborate and that result gets you a better product in the end. Yeah, absolutely. And as a teacher, like my, I really value my PLC relationships that I've had over the last couple of years. They're such an important and critical part of the way that I teach in my classroom and how I interact with my students and how I develop the curriculum. Uh, I've, I've really loved working my PLCs the last couple of years. And it's one of the best way of professional development. That's the way people yeah. grow. Right. Yeah. It's a it is it is a element of our professional development that we offer here at GIST um, because teachers do grow because they are working collaboratively in teams. Right. Mm. Ultimately, you do grow. I think that the, as we're talking, Dan, I feel like the theme of this podcast really is reflection. So let's talk a little bit about the what's been taking place in the last couple of years in the middle school, certainly um, regarding assessment principles and practices and what do you think is working well? Because we've made a number of changes in the last couple of years to the way that we assess our students in the middle school and the way that we report out on that assessing. What's working well and what areas of growth do you still think we're, we're trying to achieve? Yeah, this is a good question. I don't know the answer to that one, honestly. <laughs> um, I, I was hoping that this year we could actually look at the data, right? 
like I said before, is are we getting what we intended? When we changed from A, B, C, D, uh, or the four words of approaching emerging um, proficient in advance, when we changed away, made the decision based on research, when we made that decision, we said the reason why we're doing this is because we wanted kids to focus on learning, not, not letter grades. Um, we said that feedback is the most important way that we learn. And so that feedback would be elevated under a new, uh, the new way we assess, and that that would give people a better understanding about where a, kid, where a child's at and where they need to go next. And then we also said that it would help us elevate the importance of our disposition, our four dispositions. Um, what I'm, what I, you know, what what I don't have data on when I say I don't know the answer to that is I would like to get the input or feedback from students. Is did are we getting what we intended? Um, if those are the things we intended by changing our reporting system, are we got? Did we get there? Um, and a parent challenged us that on our first year, they were very supportive, or this this parent was very supportive of the change, and he he was he was appreciative of the re, of using research to support our decision, but he he really did challenge us to to look at the data a year later or two years later to see if we're getting what we intended. Are kids less focused on grades? Are they less driven by by getting the A? Mm -hmm. um, because that's why we changed. And that was one of the reasons why we changed that it would be they would be more focused on the learning, not the letter grade. Mm -hmm. um, so are, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. That's what next year needs to needs to circle back on is to see are we getting what we intend. Yeah, and I, I think it's our current crop of grade sevens that have, have only been through this assessment cycle. So it'll be interesting talking to them next year yeah. as eighth graders. You know, one of one of the positives I will I will comment on one of the the positive outcomes of this is what I've noticed working with PLCs is that I believe that the the, the number one question of uh, being very clear about what we want students to know, understand, and be able to do this process uh, or this new assessment principles that we were the practices i guess it is uh, we went to one column rubrics and the one column rubrics forced you to be to to really unpack your your standards and your benchmarks and write i can statements mm -hmm. so that we knew what what the difference or what we wanted kids to do right so i think it did bring more clarity um and that that is a positive outcome. It needs still needs more work, but I think that is one of the biggest positive results. And the kids are more involved, I think, in the reflection. Did I get there? What is my evidence that I got there? Process. It's getting mm -hmm. better. Yeah, absolutely. And I see that as well with my students. Their language and their approach to their assessment is different to what it was when it was ABCD. Yeah. Dan, over the past two years as a school, we've been working on our reaccreditation. We do this through two bodies, the Council of International Schools and the Western Association of Schools and Colleges. And these reaccreditation cycles operate on a five-year cycle. As a member of the school leadership team, what opportunities do you feel that the process of accreditation provides for a school community? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's designed to make a school stop and reflect, look at the evidence, um, consolidate the evidence and reflect and think about, you know, what's going well and where, where can we make uh, improvements to the school. That's what it's designed to do. Um, and it's super important that schools do that. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I was thinking about this whole pandemic. 
um, and and relating it to what a, what a accreditation process does to a school. It, it after you stop, pause, and reflect, and then you make a new uh, new plans or new strategic plans from that because now you've identified where your areas of growth are and where you can continue to grow. Um, it should bring energy to a school. It should bring uh, a new life to a school to say, wow, you know, we, we've done a lot of great stuff, but we've got work to do and we've got exciting work to do. It should push you. It, should, it shouldn't just be, um, it shouldn't just be, okay, well, we've, we, we see we have deficiencies and now we need to work on just those deficiencies. It should also say, where do we wanna go next? You know, that whole strategic planning process. Or what, are we, what can we do better? And so, you know, the pandemic, it's interesting, the pandemic has caused us to, uh, caused everyone to go back into that learner learner mode, right? Like we we, we didn't have an option. Yeah, we were told we were gonna go online. And if you would, if, if there wasn't a pandemic and you started a school year and you said, you know what, we're gonna try something new this year, everybody's gonna teach online. Mm. People would revolt, right? Like who in their right mind would do that, right? Yeah. But what the result of that, the result, think about all the positive things that has resulted from that pandemic that was forced upon us. So what I'm starting to think about now is, well, should a strategic plan act like, uh, you know, that similar injection? What's that? Like a disruptor. Yeah, disruptor. The, 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 the accreditation, sorry, not strategic plan, but a new strategic plan and accreditation should be a disruptor. It should say, you know what, we're going to have to go back into learner modes and we're going to have to go back into innovate, like let's innovate, let's try new stuff, let's, let's, be, let's get comfortable with messy for a while, right? Uh, applying new stuff, let's, get, let's, let's um, trust the process of iterating or the iterative process of, of innovation. And, yeah. and, and um, you know, improve what we do. So, uh, yeah, I'm seeing it as a, um, a five-year interrupter. <laughs> that- yeah, and it's interesting. I mean, I've been chairing the the curriculum committee, the curriculum domain for the accreditation, and it's really interesting. You know, a, a lot of the evidence we have to gather, our unit designs and our lessons and our assessment and so on. And it's been really interesting going, oh, but we're not really doing it this way right now. Like this is what's in our files, but we've actually had to really adapt that. And, you know, there's this craving, I think, from everybody all over the world, no matter what profession you're in, this craving to go back to what we had, to the familiar. But that can't happen now and certainly can't happen in education. You know, and John Hattie talks about that at educational expert he talks about how we've we've seen so much acceleration and innovation in our classrooms it would be such a waste if we lost all of that yeah i couldn't agree more i mean you just think about it we've now proven that we can be that kids and teachers can be effective at teaching and learning online we've so if, if given that fact what does that say about timetables what does that say about kids schedules Shouldn't it be more? I mean, we've always said we want flexible schedules. We want kids to create their own schedules. Shouldn't that open the door to all of that? Like if we want to take kids to site-based learning where they have to go uh, live on the side of a a mountain for uh, three weeks, two weeks or whatever, you know, and they have still have access to internet, they can, we've proven that they can do that from anywhere in the world. We've proven that teachers can teach from anywhere in the world. You know, like we've, you know, it's taught our students how to learn asynchronously, not just synchronously. They've also learned how to learn asynchronously, um, take information 
uh, you know, and, and work with it and then ask questions from their teacher when the next time they see them. So if we've proven that we can do this successfully, which I think we've done a great job, um, it's, it's really impressive what our teachers were able to accomplish this year. If we're able to do that, what does that mean about the future schedules and the future, what the structures of school look like? Mm, yeah, absolutely. And, and it will be really fantastic next year when we do have CIS come to visit us. Um, and that's probably going to be virtual, but when CIS comes to visit us in November of this year, um, it'll be so wonderful to see, you know, it's very unique to go through this accreditation process online and virtually and not have kids in the classroom and not be sitting around with butcher's paper and writing down <laughs> and gathering that evidence. So it's going to be a really interesting um, experience having them visit our school virtually and hopefully give us some of that feedback on on some of those changes that we've made. Yeah, for sure. Alongside our accreditation process this year, Dan, we've also been engaging in a new strategic plan and that's been taking place the last couple of years and probably many of our listeners in the community have been involved with that, whether it's um, completing surveys or participating in workshops. And out of this process, among a number of things, we've developed the GIST 2.0 learning model. Can you tell us a little bit, bit about this learning model, what it means for our school? Yeah, I again, I think uh, the, what it means for our school, hopefully, is, is is it breathes new energy into people. And I think we're getting closer and closer. All schools around the world are getting closer and closer to identifying what's most important in schools. Mm-hmm. And we've come up with four four big uh, impacts, we call them, uh, that uh, are what we hope every student who attends GIST whether they attend all the way through graduation or they don't, uh, is four impacts. And those four impacts are, uh, we want them to leave globally minded. We want them to leave having a sense of balance in their life. Uh, so that, that wellness, uh, personal health aspect. Um, we want them to be future ready, uh, future ready thinkers, flexible, creative, uh, adaptive, uh, et cetera. And then we also want them to be self-directed. And if you think about those four things and outside of the realm of school, those four things are the elements that make adults in any con- context successful. If they're globally minded, they, they understand that they, they celebrate diversity, they, they, um, you know, they, they care about their environment, they, they, you know, that those types of people are going to be successful. So if you think about that, that person, if you if you picture those four words, that's what's going to make that's what's going to make the content is not what makes kids successful, and mm-hmm. the content is not what makes adults successful. It's those four things that that will ultimately, um, yeah. And it's going to be so exciting next year when we start to roll out that learning model and, and socialize it amongst the school and the community, um, as you say, bringing that energy. Um, yeah, which I mean, just think about it. If that's what we're after. What has to change in teaching and learning to get there? Mm-hmm. That's what that's what I'm excited about. That's the that's the disruptor, right? Mm-hmm. If content is no longer the king, and these things are the king, how do we measure them? How do we how do we how does teaching and learning change if this is what we're intending? Mm-hmm. So yeah, absolutely, Dan. We've touched on this a little bit already, but it's been a really challenging year for everybody in our community. We've talked about some acceleration in innovation. Perhaps I can ask you this as a parent. You know, you have two kids in the high school here. 
What are some of the achievements you've witnessed in our school or among in your own children, really, and how they've coped with this year? What, have, what do you think we've learned? Yeah, I mentioned it before. I think we've learned that that learning can happen, doesn't have to happen in the four walls of a classroom. Um, that's a big one. I, I think the, the students that experienced this, the teachers that experienced that went through this are going to be more resilient. They're going to be more resourceful. <laughs> they're going to be um, more collaborative. Uh, they're going to they're going to be OK with they're going to be. Yeah, they're going to be more adaptive to I mean, you think about it, anytime you're challenged like this, the next challenge that comes along is going to seem not as big. Right. So I think these the students that come out of this are going to uh, be stronger from it. I see it in my own kids. They're they're definitely more um, self-directed. Um, they're definitely more resilient, <laughs> uh, mm -hmm. having to go through all of this. We always said that that's what we want to intentionally teach. Well, just the fact that we were in this situation when they were having to learn online and uh, you know do what they did. It, it built all of those skills uh, or those dispositions naturally, mm. uh, which I found fascinating. Like uh, both of my kids are way like I've seen huge, tremendous growth in, in both of them in the dispositions. Mm. Content wise, you know, they're still obviously they're still learning, but dispositionally, I, I feel like that was the biggest benefit. Yeah, I mean, I look at my eight-year-old and his resourcefulness this year. I'm ashamed to say how many things he's taught me on a computer. <laughs> and I thought I was pretty tech-savvy. Right? But, yeah, absolutely. I think that dispositional learning has been huge. Yeah. Final question, Dan, final reflection for our reflective podcast today. If you could sum up the 2020-21 school year in a couple of words, what would they be? Boy. Maybe I should tell you to watch your language here. We may have children <laughs> listening. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, yeah, disruptive is a great word. Um, you know what? There was times when we had a lot of fun. Uh, mm. There was times when we were, we were frustrated. Um, there was times when uh, we felt like we were doing some, I mean, the fun part of it came when we felt like we were doing something new that we felt like we were going to, like the graduation ceremonies and the, and, the, oh. and just the different ways we pulled things off that we, that we did in person. We pulled them off really well mm -hmm. online or in an online environment. And so, yeah, I would say frustrating, um, uh, fun, um, um, disruptive, uh, but, but rewarding. I mean, it was, this has been a this has been a, an eye opening year for us to to see what's possible. Like like you said, accelerate it really accelerated what education where we need to go with education. And it sounds to me, Dan, um, as a deputy principal, there's a big dose of pride in there as well. That and, and certainly I, I have not envied your job or our principal's job at all this year. I think it's really I can't even imagine how difficult it's it's been holding all of this together, but. I know that our community is really appreciative and also looking forward to a long summer break. Thank yeah. you for joining us today, Dan. Thank you so much, Joe. I really appreciate uh, you, you putting these together. You, um, you're going to be missed as well. <laughs> it's been a pleasure. Thank you, Dan. Yeah.